The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. I need some help. Um, you look strong, Dave. Can I ask you for for help? I just need... John, is it okay if I move this table? Did John leave? Yeah. <laughs> is it okay? All right, good. I need to move this over because I'm going to do this. All right, we're going to pick this up. All right, great. Thank you. This is, weighs only about 7,000 pounds. Thanks, man. That's good. That's actually all I needed from you. That's really good. Um, okay, that's good. Everybody's like going, Whew. thank goodness. He didn't do anything embarrassing to him. Okay, if you've got your Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read for you. Um, and um, by the way, if you don't have your own Bible yet, there are stores that sell them. They're not that expensive. Go out and buy one. This is called a pen. You can bring that too. If you sit in the dark back there, come up, sit in the front, and you can you can you can uh, outline things. The reason why I say that, always, 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 is because this message may not be for you tonight. It may be for you in two years. And so when you take a little bit of notes and outline it and put a little date by it, it gives you a chance when you're going back. I can't tell you how many times God has spoken to me a message that was so powerful two years ago. And I go, that's the sermon that I need to hear right now. And so taking some notes, having this, this stuff in your, in your Bible gives you that chance when you're going back through your devotionals for God to speak to you again. And so I really want to invite you, pick up your own Bible, put it in the glove compartment of your car, and take it with you so that when you come, you'll have it with you. All right? And you can put a little pen in there. little lesson, little extra freebie right there. All right. I read from the uh, NASB um, because I love that translation. It takes, the, it takes the translation. It typically goes more word by word. NIV, we you get what's called more of a dynamic translation where they're taking more thought by thought. Um, so if you notice a variance in, in these, it's where the translators were struggling. Different translators were struggling to figure out what do we do, what word should go right here. So that's part of the reason why I like to read a little different translation so that when you see something in your Bible, that's not the same word. Underline it. That means where in somewhere in the Hebrew they were trying to figure out what were they really trying to get at. Okay. Everybody with me? Yep. All right. Here we go. In the beginning. How many people have heard this beginning? of? How many people have heard this? All right. How many people have heard me speak on this? Anybody? Money. All right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first thing the Hebrews were, were, were trying to figure out, and the first thing, the issue that they were wanting to address, is that when you look up at the big blue sky, when you're out at night and you're looking up at the stars, when you're in the mountain and you're seeing those big ranges, they want you to be very clear that it was not us that made this stuff that it's not us that it's, that's in charge, that it's not us that is the biggest thing. It's God. That God is the one when you look around, that you're literally looking at pieces of art, pieces of masterwork of God in the, in the midst of this, that they want you to know for sure that we are not God. And I, I stop to say that because how hard is that to remember when you are managing a life that is packed and full where it can begin to feel like you are God of your life. And you are the one that if it doesn't happen by you, it's not going to happen. All the weight that you feel. Um, some of you know what it's like to grow up in families where something happens. Something happens and somehow you can feel the weight of the family resting on you. 
you know that somehow whether you've got to be perfect enough or you've got to get good grades or something happens when you do great stuff you watch somehow your family seems to be better so you learn that I am the one that's in control. I'm the one that's got to carry this thing and shoulder this thing. Yeah, in my mind, I believe that God is God. And yes, I come to church. And yes, I pray. And yes, I ask God for help. But when I go out of those doors, I know what it's like, like a backpack, to shoulder that thing back on again. And I'm responsible. I've got school or I've got work and I've got relationships and I've got people around me and I shoulder it. And I know what it's like to take that weight on all the time. And then in the midst of that weight, I've got to somehow manage this kind of Christian smile and bless you and hopefully get that right too. The Hebrew authors wanted to make sure you knew right off the bat that you're off the hook. You can let go. You're not God. God is God. So in the midst of your day, one of the things that you can do right off the bat is stop and settle and remind yourself In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, not me. It's a great starting. It's a great start. It's the very first thing the Hebrews, they could have started anywhere. They could have said anything. It's exactly what they wanted you to know first off and foremost. Does that make sense? And the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And the earth was formless and void. In the Hebrew, what that literally means is that in the beginning, there was chaos. That's literally the Hebrew goes back down to this idea of chaos. This idea that whatever was up is not up tomorrow, it's down. Whatever was left was right, was now right, now left, now one, now two, now a, now a kangaroo. There's no order. Nothing. Everything that you think you can count on is just swirling around. That's the state that we come into. And then God spoke, said, let there be light. And there's light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. If you've got your Bible, underline the word separated. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning one day. Now, that goes on. And that's exactly how God starts doing this. He comes into the middle of chaos and the first thing He starts doing is naming and separating. Naming and separating. He starts pulling the chaos apart. The second thing the Hebrews were, were, were wrestling with was this feeling of chaos. And we know what that's like. Because here's the, here's, the, here's the biblical account. What happens is the beginning starts off as chaos. In the beginning, it was formless and void. And God begins to move and separate and name. And every time he does that, he says, that's good. So you're already getting, follow this, you're already getting a sense of God's will. Some of you are wanting to know what God's will is in your life. One thing you can know is that where God sees chaos, God's will is to start making order. And the way that God does that is he starts to name and separate. What happens is that people go along and you're going to see that God creates man and he puts him in a garden. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to name the plants and the animals and have dominion over them. I want you to name them. I want you to till this ground. I want you to cultivate it. So the the next thing that God does is He creates us and He says, I want you to participate with me. 
I don't want you just to sit back. I'm not just here. You're not just here to, 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 to look around. I want you to be someone that's in, the, in this work with me as we're raising this thing up. I want you to join with me. That's a neat thing for those of you who feel like your life doesn't matter. God, the Hebrews wanted you to know. Yeah, it does. God puts you in the middle of a place and says, I want you to begin to help cultivate this place. And then what happens, he says, you can have the free reign of this, but don't eat out of this tree. Well, lo and behold, they do. All kinds of theological arguments about who did what and why did who and all this kind of stuff. That's not the point. The point for me is ultimately we did. We did what God said, don't do this. And what the Hebrews were introducing is this idea of rebellion. That in our hearts, there's a part of us that wants to obey God. There's a part of us that wants to live in the garden. A part of us that wants to participate with God and raising this thing up. But there's another part of us that wants to do it our own way. And the result of that is new chaos. So we go from chaos to order to people to rebellion to new chaos. From there... We go through the journey of Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Joseph. We go through all this. We go through all of these people, and eventually we get to Jesus. Jesus is on the cross. Jesus dies. Jesus rises again. And the idea that the kingdom of God now is about partly rejoining and re saying yes to God to, to help grow and cultivate new this order, bringing order back into chaos. Does that make sense? It's a little bit heady. The idea is that you, if you want to know what God's will is in your life, part of it is that God is saying, I want you, through my son, to join me in what my original will was. Is to join me in my created order. So, God does this, God does this, God does this. And another key thing is that God only works for six days. And at the end of six days, I'll read this to you. It says in in chapter 2, in the the beginning of chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and, and and their hosts. And by the seventh day, I love this. It makes no sense to me, but I'm gonna, but I'm gonna, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll read it to you, and then we'll see what it means. God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested. If you got your Bible, underline the word rested on the seventh day. Literally means he stopped. He stopped. He rested on the seventh day from all his work to which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, which literally means sanctifying means to sort of set it apart, to move it aside, to say this is something different than all the other days. Because in it, he rested, stopped from all his work which God had created and made. And what I love about this thing is it keeps repeating the same sentence. It's talking about, he keeps it keep, the, the Hebrew authors want you to hear, did you catch this? That God, the God of the, the infinite God, the God that should not get tired, models something for us in this. He works seven, and then on the seventh, he stops. Okay. With me so far? The, when God comes back, when there's the when when there's a uh, when they're in the desert, one of the things that God gets angry with the people for 
is that they've eventually begun to stop observing this Sabbath day. They've begun to say, you know what, no big deal. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep working. And God comes down and says, what are you doing? You ignore the seventh day when I didn't ignore the seventh day. In, a, in, in some ways, that's not just breaking the fourth commandment, which is you shall keep the Sabbath. It's breaking the first commandment, which says you can only have one God. That's me. When you put yourself in the place that says, I can take something on that takes seven out of seven days, in a sense, what you're saying and what I'm saying is that I can do something that not even God did. That I can begin to live my life in a way that God didn't even choose to live. Does that make sense? And that that is not just breaking the Sabbath, that's idolatry. Putting myself up as the true God of the universe. Yes, I'll pray, I'll pray, but I pray to God more like a helper. I pray to God more like a helpmate to me who's really God. I pray to God more like an energizer bunny. I need a new battery. God, please. Lord, I'm on my day seven, and I just need a couple of uh, you know uh, nine-volt batteries just right in the back that just will keep me going. Lord, give me the energy. Give me the strength. Give me, Lord, I just want it. Let me, Lord, let me go in there on the seventh day and I pray that I'm just going to be that person that you want me to be. I pray, Lord, that I'm going to do the things you want me to do. Yes, Lord, I know that I've worked 49 days straight. I know I have. But, Lord, bless me so that I can do it. This is where people got mad at me at the UW. You don't understand. I got accepted to business school. And I can do it if I only work 24 hours a day. It was God's will. Now this is a challenge for me. This is where I wrestle. Because I don't know. But did God call us if it takes seven out of seven days to do it? You want to unleash on me now? This is one where it gets really, really hard. Did God call us if it takes us seven out of seven days to do it? Or eight out of seven? Or nine? That's the challenge of balance and rhythm. The first challenge is that we've got six out of seven of anything. And what I do, just for me, is I take it more on principle. I do like to set aside my Sundays, and this is, I haven't done this all my life, but what I find works for me is I eliminate certain things from Sunday that I don't, that I know will leave me tired on Monday. And that includes some really good life-giving things. I do a lot with music. I don't do music on Sundays. Because as good as it is, it's it leaves it's it's a project for me right now that takes so much work and so much energy of what I'm doing that it leaves me feeling like I didn't really set aside that day. I try to put something in on Sunday that feels more fun as a discipline. 
Yeah, I said the word fun. <laughs> you were waiting for something really deep. Like, I go out there and I dig trenches for poor people. I don't. I, I, try, to sac- I try to set that, that, that day aside to do something that feels just kind of free, light. Um, because I know that that's a restoration. But I also think this is one of those things where God is talking about here in an archetypical manner, meaning this is sort of just true about you. If in your day you're packing it from sun up to sundown with all of this work and there's not that sense of six out of seven, six out of seven, six out of seven, you work but you're not maxing yourself out. It's this idea of, of, of taking the amount of time you have and use about that much. Don't use this much. Does that make sense? If you use this much and you've been given this much, you're going to break down. It's when your A game is going to go to your C game. Let me give you three, if I haven't convinced you yet, let me give you three reasons why. Rhythm and balance. Rhythm and balance. By the way, rhythm, Dave Rohr, if you've never listened to his talks on rhythm, you need to. He is uh, prolific on this. I think he's he's brilliant. Balance and rhythm. Three reasons why. Go ahead and fire him up. First one, faith and worship. One of the big reasons why we want to incorporate this is this idea going right back to this, this, the belief that God is God, not me, right in the beginning. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. It's this idea of saying, Lord, I could get probably an A if I worked seven out of seven. If I just pushed a little bit harder, but Lord, I'm going to go on faith that you're calling me to six out of seven. That means do well with the six. You know, if you're playing video games, you know, out of your days, and then, and then just going, well, but then he also called me only six days. Now, you've got to be strategic with your six. No question about it. You need to maximize those things. But the idea is that when I stop, short of seven out of seven and say, okay, Lord, I feel like I've done John Wooden, the peace of mind, knowing success is the peace of mind, knowing that you did your best to be your best. John Wooden, the UCLA coach, won the, I think it's 11 uh, NCAA championships. Um, the idea, the, the success is the peace of mind, knowing that you did your best to be your best. This idea of do your best on your six, but this idea of the last chunk saying, Lord, I'm going to Take what I get with what I had given to me. Who's got some change in their pockets? Anybody? Where's the basket here? I'm going to ask for, if you're willing to donate your change, I need some money. I'm, I'm dry. Anybody got some change? There we go. I got a dime. I'm sweet. I'm looking for it. Good. Anybody got change? I'm totally serious, by the way. Good. Yeah. Good. There we go. All right. Great. Oh, great. Thank you. There we go. Is this where you getting into yours? Oh, there we go. All right. Nice. I'm, see, this is the way we got to do collections. Anybody? Got anybody? Anybody? Nothing back here? No change? No change? Anybody? Oh, there we go. Thank you, Lee. Okay, anybody over here? I don't want to leave the giving out of this side of the room. There we go. It feels good to give, doesn't it? feels good. It feels life-giving to give. There we go. we got some over here. Anybody back here? There we go. Some change. Thank you very much. All right, all the way back here. Good. Anybody? Okay. Oh, good. Okay, I'll clean it up. This is awesome. I'm going to do this every week, John. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? <laughs> all right, this is really good. This is the way I look at it, you guys. This is how I look at it. This idea of faith and worship is to say this, is that God has given me for this day this much. And this is all I get to spend. And if I borrow on this, or if I try to spend more than this, 
that it is an act of proclaiming myself to be bigger than God. When I use only what's been given to me, spend it well, I get the satisfaction of saying, Lord, unto you, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to work with it. I'm going to spend it well. And that little chunk of time, that little six out of seven that you're not spending is where all of your anxiety comes up. Because you could do a little bit more. You know you could. You could make it that much better. You could probably do that much better in your job. Your boss would love you. And for those of you, like I said, that were born where your significance comes from the backpack. Yeah, I got this much money, but guess what? I got this money too and I can bring my own. No. There's that element of faith that says, Lord, you're going to take care of my story when I give that six out of seven. I'm going to spend the six and then my faith comes in. This may be, for some of you, the first time you ever exercise true, honest faith. Because there's no guarantees. There's no promise of what's going to happen. You really may not climb as high in your job as the guy that's willing to give seven out of seven. You might not. But it's this idea of saying, Lord, when I spend six out of six, six out of seven, which is all you've given me, I'm going to trust you that my story is in your hand. Make sense? You tracking? Oh, the UW students were mad at me by now. Who? Yeah, no, no, no. Because seven out of seven is oftentimes the difference of making it or not making it. And when you've got parents on your back that told you in, 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 inadvertently that making it would make you significant, what I'm talking about is going to march you straight into the arms of God in a way where you will feel so helpless and so depleted. Next one. We're not done with this money yet. We're going to donate, by the way. Restoration. This is the obvious one. As you see God saying He rested, this idea that we need to be restored. We work in a place where that, that is such a low value um, unless it's sort of in an opulent way where you save up and then you go do something totally you know, off the hook or whatever. But what we're talking about is that what God is looking for is this sense of ongoing restoration, that God is wanting to rebuild you up, that God's wanting to recharge your battery. Let's go to the, the last one. And the last one is awareness. This is one that I love. John and I talked about this one, and I think... This is, this is so true, that the idea that when you are living a balance and rhythm, when you are spending six out of seven, the right things at the right time and the right amount, the idea is that you begin to see more about how you impact people, about the mission field that's right in front of your face. Some of you are wondering what God's will for your life is and there is no way you can see it because you're too tired and too rushed and too irritable, too stressed, too much of your own God. Awareness to see how much of other people's stuff you carry. How many other people's issues you carry around awareness of where God is around you. It's like driving on the Audubon and somebody's saying, weren't those flowers great? And you're like, yeah, they're awesome. You know? They were back there somewhere. I don't know. They were brightly yellow. I think. Not sure. Might have been a body. I don't know what that was. 
you know, just, just like this. I mean, that's, that's it. It is really tough to make a hairpin turn when you're going 140 miles an hour. You know, it is really tough. So the idea is that when we start to bring in balance and rhythm, this modeling after what God has set up for us right in the beginning of Genesis, the idea is that suddenly we're going slow enough that we can actually see. So if you're crying out, going, God, what do you want with my life? What do you... What are you hoping to do with me? Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? One of the things you can check and say is, are you going too fast to see? Does your life let you look around? Is there time for a prayer walk in your day? Five minutes. Okay. Do you want a how-to? Is that... Would that be helpful? Like a little bit of a help? Of a help? Okay, let's do it. I'm going to give you... I don't want to blow out the holy candle. Um, I'm going to put it right here. Um, okay, let me show you one way that got taught to me that I think is really good, although I need my pen. Here it is. Same exact model as you saw in Genesis. This idea that imagine your life is this big chaotic, chaotic swirling mess. And all that you were going to do is just ex- do exactly what God did, which is exactly start what? Name and separate. That's the first thing. Name and separate. And so you say, well, one area of my life that's really important is my spiritual life. Another area that's really important with my life is my relationships. Another area that's really important in my life is my finances. Another area that's really important in my life is what I call like a creative passion. I do a lot of um, work with people, and, and I have seen people that are struggling with depression, struggling with feeling of, of kind of like higher anxiety. And I always ask them, I say, what do you do in your life that's totally creative, that fills you with passion? And that usually requires that you buy really cool gear. Like something that, you know, you need to go and invest in. That needs, like, you have to go to a store to go get cool things for it. And that usually they wear out and you need to get cooler things for it. Like, what do you do? Like, what is it that, that fills, you, fills you with just life? Creative passion. And when they say, nothing, then I go, well, no wonder you're kind of anxious and depressed. Um, work. That's another one. Home environment, like what you live in. When's the last time you made your bed? You know what I'm saying? You know what? Literally, this is so embarrassing. But I have I have uh, two two uh, kind of litmus tests for me in my own world on, on how out of whack I am on this stuff. And that's my car and my bed. If my bed is not made and my car is dirty, I can guarantee you that there are other areas in my life that are out of balance and where I've started to take on the role of God in my life. So embarrassing to admit that, but it's totally true. Okay. By the way, you want to know the other thing about this? It's cyclical for me. It typically happens about twice a year that I get out of balance. And I totally blame my parents for that because they had in there, when we were growing up, I know, I love to, yeah, this is one where I've told them this too. When I grew up, we had this antique clock that literally ran on an internal uh, little pendulum that, that about every six months would get about 10 minutes off. 
So we as kids knew that right about it's January, yeah, we're about 10 minutes behind. We knew that. We were trained as early to get about 10 minutes off in life. So about every six months, I'm not getting, I'm running about 10 minutes late. And I have to kind of readjust my whole schedule and go, I'm sorry, it's my parents' fault. Um, so, uh, okay, so here you go. So what I've done now is I've taken my chaotic life and I've just separated it and I've named them. I've separated and named them and said, here are the ingredients of my life that what I need to do that in the next five years, I want to have these overflowing and bearing interest. I want to have these things generating more life. Does that make sense? Oh, how indicative of my hypocrisy. Sabbath. <laughs> Lordy goodness. Pray for me. That's why I tell you, I told John, I said, John, when I do this talk, I go, I never, ever, ever want to come as one teaching this. I want to come as one learning this. That's for sure. All right, here's the idea. This is how much God has given me. So what I choose is I look week by week because that's the measure of time that God used in Genesis. He uses a week chunk of time, seven days. Now I'm going to look at this and say, what is over the time, over a period of time I want to put in, in my home environment? I can't clean my whole house this week. I'd love to dump all my money in there. But if I do that, the rest of these things are going to be empty and dry. I love my work. I really do. I feel honored every day that I go into my work. But if I, every week, and some of you, this is where I think most of us struggle. i got all this money. I'm going to save this, and I'm going to put that in. And every week, I'm going to dump that same amount in. Now, this is what I call Enron investing. You remember people in Enron? Remember that when they were, and I don't mean, uh, pardon me if this was you, but there were some people, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to probably offend you. But this is that idea of dumping all your money into one place, and when it goes bust, you are devastated. And this is where I want to tell you right now in this chapter of your life, you are making decisions about how you're going to do this. And I want to save you from what I think of as the early 30s burnout that comes from Enron investing into one thing in your life, and that's work that you put every week so much of your energy, so much of your heart. Because I know you got to prove yourself. I know that. you got to see what you can do. I understand that. But what I'm challenging you to do, if you're going to live a Sabbath life, a life of balance and rhythm, what I'm going to challenge you is, is first assess the fact that you've only got six out of seven and decide, I'm going to put in this much. And yeah, it doesn't pay off right away. But I'm going to put this much into Sabbath. Yeah, Lord, I know it feels unpopular. I should be doing all the stuff at church that I can, but Lord, you've only given me this much time. My relationships, I'm going to put a little bit more into that. Finances, just, we're talking half an hour in your week where you sit down and make sure that you're banking, that you're not overdrafted. Or that you're sitting there talking, at some point you're making an appointment to go in and talk to a financial advisor for 15 minutes. Something. You're just putting something into it because you've decided that it's important in your life. Creative passion. This is the one that I can overload, by the way. I can overload this one. I can go way overboard on that. Home environment. I, I clean like in 10-minute intervals. That's about all I really can do. But you'd be surprised when I put a 10 minutes in there. That's because the other way I'll do it is do nothing for weeks. 
until dust balls like roll over my feet. You know, and then I'm like, oh man, I better do something about this. But if I put in just to say, you know what, during the week, I am happier when my place is cleaner. I am more, it is, I breathe easier when there's just a sense that things are not completely out of, if my house looks chaotic, I feel chaotic. So if I just put in 10 minutes, over time, what happens is, you get the point? If every week I'm, I'm deciding, God's given me this, and I'm going to start deciding, what are the accounts that are really important? How much money do I have to put into them? Does it show up on my day timer and my checkbook? And over time, over time, these things start piling up and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that way, if one of them suddenly just gets knocked over, well, that's all right, because I've got all these that are bearing fruit. Does that make sense? All of these have, got, are, 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 have that compound. They're getting common. By the way, it goes up exponentially. They're starting to give life. They're starting to breathe life. That's the idea of Sabbath living, which means that right off the bat, you may are going to be making sacrifices on some areas that are really important to you because you've only been given a certain amount of time. You've only been given a certain amount of energy and you've been given a command to, to live six out of seven. Name and have dominion. The last thing I'm going to give you a little how-to and that is be open, be open to change and prioritize growth. Be open to change and prioritize growth. If this feels hard for you, one of the tasks that you can do is say, Lord, in faith, I don't have this down right now, but I am committing to you that I am going to prioritize, that I am going to grow in this area. And this is where we go back to last week, the vision talk. I want to challenge you to begin to imagine yourself being better at it. Imagine you being confident with it. Not now. You know, there are studies that say that people that have anger problems, when they commit to working with their anger, they can actually eventually become better at managing their anger than people that never really struggled with it. Because they learn to master. They learn to commit priority, commit to, uh, to be, or, uh, be open to change, meaning that your life is not going to look the same. You're going to have friends that are going to want to pull you in the direction that you've always gone. You're going to have people that are going to value. Not that you, not that they, they don't want you to be perfect in every area. They just want you to be perfect in one. And by the time you add up all the people you know, that's just everybody wants you to be perfect in every area. Does that make sense? So you're going to have to learn how to say, you know what? I've got an appointment. Virgil, the guy that I used to work with, a pastor who was about 190 years old, about four foot two, used to wear a little sailor's cap. I kid you not. If you tried to make an appointment with him, because everybody wanted to make an appointment with him, if you tried to make an appointment with him early in the morning, he'd say, you know what, I can't, I've already got an appointment. You know where his his appointment was? With his pillow. That's where he made an appointment every day at 6.30. He couldn't meet with you because he had an appointment. You're going to have to learn creative ways, not lying, but you're going to have to learn how to say no. And you're going to have to decide to commit so that my life is going to start looking different. So that when I walk from arena to arena, there's a sense that I've chosen how much money I'm going to put in each one of those as an act of faith and worship so that I can feel restoration. So that I am more aware of what God is doing around me and in me and through me, where I'm supposed to go. That when I walk into that place, there's not that sense of an overloaded account and 18 empty accounts. And that feeling like I'm praying for God to just give me a little bit more money. 
when God says, what you do with what I gave you? Did I not tell you to name and have dominion? Did I not give you an example in the garden? Didn't I teach you this? Do you not have my son and his spirit to lead you and guide you? Why are you asking me to do what I didn't even do for myself? Draken, thumbs up if you're with me. God, I pray for this. Oh, gosh. I know that there are people in this room right now that are looking something in their, in their life that's going to take seven out of seven. And I feel for them. I do. And Lord, I'm going to pray that your, your spirit of grace and truth will be with them as they walk away from here and have a face-to-face with you where they end faith and in worship are open to change and commit, prioritize growth. And all God's people said, Amen.